What's up, everyone? Welcome in to another episode of ESPN's Ball and the Real World. If you've been taking some time off during the offseason, we can hardly blame you. It feels like the NBA, the NBL, the Olympics, it's been rolling for over a year. But uh, recent episodes with the show, we had Jock Landau fresh off the plane from Tokyo. Uh, that was a fun chat. Last week, we had CEO of the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, Tommy Greer. So if you've missed any of those episodes, uh, jump back in. They've been fun chats. And I think today's guest might be the only man in Australia that can push the approval rating of Paddy Mills, I think, which is, uh, which is, which is pretty damn high at the moment. He is the coach of the national team and the coach of the Illawarra Hawks, Brian Gorgian. Brian, uh, I know you've had a, a, let's say, a busy travel schedule and trying to come back from Tokyo the last few months, but we appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Nice, nice to be Nice to be here. Nice to be settled back into Wollongong comfortably and comfortably into Australia again. And you are back. You're in the gym now. I can see you there. I, I believe you've had the practice session. You told me the, the boys were doing some yoga. What What is life like back in Illawarra right now? We know it's a little bit different for everyone. Yeah, I, I know uh, everybody's dealing with or a lot of the country's dealing with the COVID restrictions, but uh the setup here, you know, moving into our second year is is noticeably um, improved in, in uh, you know, everybody um, is a little more comfortable with each other within the team. Everybody understands we got brought a lot of guys back. Um, they know they, they know Wollongong. Um, they, they know we know each other. We know what is expected at practice, how to operate. The other big issue you know, for us when we came last time is that we were, um, we knew we were hubbing, we knew we were leaving with COVID and uh, everybody had been brought in for the first time. And, and so we, we stayed in service departments and, uh, and it, it ended up, COVID ended up, you know, going on right through the year. So we were always in a, a temporary living situation last year. So for me, I mean, personally, just one of the big excitements of coming to Wollongong was the beauty of the of the place, you know, being right on the beach. I'm originally from California and a lifestyle like this is, it, you know, you have to be very, very wealthy. And uh, uh, I just am so um, appreciative of, of my living situation. I'm right close to the WEC and right on that water there along the coastline. You know, you step out of your apartment and there's the ocean everything here is walking distance so under these current restrictions we're still able to practice you know we can go down and work out at the beach and uh you know so um not really um restricted with what's going on with covid and again with this group uh more familiarity and uh a better living situation so I want to get to the Hawks because I mentioned this to you before we started recording. You've been talking about the Boomers a lot for good reason, but the, the Hawks are shaping up again, in my opinion, one of the more exciting teams to watch this year. You've got some, some decent continuity with some important players that you had last season and, and some key additions as well. So I want to come back to the Hawks. If we can go to the Boomers, though, I'm curious for you. You, t- you took this job with Illawarra, and you've spoken about this at, at, at times through the season, but... You take the Boomers job, you roll into a training camp really right off the back of the NBL uh, season there. How did this training camp, with some familiar faces, some guys you probably haven't worked with before, how did this training camp uh, compare to previous ones you've been through in terms of preparation, again, some of the challenges that you had with COVID and and all those types of things? Well, I just think that 
um, one of the things that, you know, when, when, the, when I took the position was um, a big factor. There was two words we constantly used with the staff leading into it. Um, and uh, the, the prep, like I said, for the Olympics um, was time. We knew as a staff, we're looking, this time is, is, is very limited um, and clarity. We're, we're just gonna have to keep things um, clean, um, clear, and, um, and, and execute things with, 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 that, are, that are simple and do simple things well. So, um, you know, an example being that, you know, you probably got six new players coming into it and they were tremendous. I thought it was maybe one of the best international teams over, the, uh, over Andre Lamontis' time with the team in the half court. I thought their ability to, to move the ball and, and, and be organized in their system was advanced to most of the teams in the competition. Internationally, it was one of their trademarks. And we had to actively make a decision, bringing six new players into it, that you know, we were not gonna be able to run flow, that we were not gonna be able to do a lot of the things that, that were the staple marks offensively because we're introducing six new players. So um, we worked real hard at, um, and I had Maddie Nielsen, uh, David Patrick at that time, and Adam um, Caporn, we zoomed a lot and um, put together a, an offense that, 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 that we thought would suit um, who we had and uh, had discussions with the leadership group about the system that we were gonna run. And also, I mean, we made, we, we made some adjustments defensively and how we were going to operate um, because there was no Andrew Bogut. So obviously the international game is very much on ball and how they guarded people with Andrew Bogut. Um, we were going to have to change that and be different there. So um, I had, I did have opportunity to, to, to talk to the staff, to meet with the leadership group and prepare for that drop-in center in Irvine. And, and we took huge advantage there of, you know, getting to know each other in, getting system in place, which led us to, you know, um, Vegas, where we actually played games and could, you know, um, make adjustments during those games and we're into Tokyo. So I think just watching the campaign, obviously from afar here in Australia, you look at the transition and you speak about that preparation and planning and the short time you had, and then you get one game into the campaign and the guy that is starting at the five and, and Andrew Bogut's not there, Aaron Baines is done for the tournament. And then you have to make another shift. And we, we spoke to Jock Landau on this show a couple of weeks ago, and he spoke about the, the way that his role changed from uh, playing at the four and being a, a rebounder, being a screener, to then being really heavily involved in those pick and roll actions. So for you as a coaching staff, did it feel like that was an adjustment? I don't want to say an easy adjustment because it's not hard. It's not easy to replace a player like Aaron Baines, but to be able to plug Jock Landau into that, because again, that's one of those things you, you can't really plan for on an already shortened preparation. Well, we, 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 um, the adjustment that we made was easy. And I, I know for probably the one most affected by it would be Jock. It, but Jock was learning the five and the four with Aaron. Um, that was the versatility that he brings. You know, you take Aaron out and you can put Jock into the five. You can play Jock and Aaron together. You can play Jock with, you know, uh, Nick Kay. 
So when, um, uh, when uh, uh, Aaron went down, what happened was he became more of a five man exclusively. And Nick had to learn four and five and Joe, and that was the, the Trump card, I think in this whole situation is that we went, instead of having that big lineup, we went really small, played more Tybal and put Joe in the four spot. And uh, now you could play Nick in the five or you could play Jock in the five. So, um, and you know, this thing, when I say clarity and simplicity, um, being able to make adjustments were, were very important. And it was what we discussed, and I'm not just leading into it, that we were gonna have, this thing has to be simple because there will be change. And starting right from even before the scenario you're talking about now, we had to, we were of a mindset going through, there's a strong chance Ben Simmons is going to be playing for us. Now, that system that you saw play, Ben Simmons would have slipped right into that. You know, he could have played in the four position and you can post him there and he can play in the mid block. He gets the ball off the elbows a lot and you can flip it to him instead of setting on ball screens. Also, he could play the one spot which suited him perfectly because we've got a lot of on ball. So um, we have to prepare for the fact of having um, Ben Simmons and not having Ben Simmons. So um, the situation with, um, like I said, with uh, uh, Baines was disappointing. You know, it, he's a tremendous piece to it, but, but we were um, prepared and um, ready to adapt. So before we move to some game-specific stuff, one of the new guys that didn't make it to Tokyo but was a part of the training camp, and there's a lot of interest for obvious reasons, Josh Giddy, You saw him in the NBL, and I know the, from speaking to the players, he was impressive in that training camp. He, he didn't make it to that final squad, but what did you learn anything additionally to what you already saw in the NBL? Obviously, you had a bit of an idea of what he can do, and was there a, a thought that, Maybe maybe we will bring this guy for what outside perspective is experience with the group or ingrained in the culture. I mean, being honest, there were there were there were so many so many difficult to see. What the the the, <clears throat> the toughest part is always is selection, and selection under this these circumstances where you have <clears throat> um, four days of practice. Virtually, we had a drop-in center that was voluntary. Then you have four days practice, and now you're you're playing three games. And really, from the drop-in center and the game, we play, we played a game at the end of the drop-in center. We had to make the selection on the twelve, and uh, there was a lot of thought on on Josh's situation. And one being is, you know, he was he had a lot on his plate. Um, at this at the time of of this and um, you know it, this is such a fine line and, and um, so there was a lot on his plate during the camp and you know he was in a and people talked about Sobe and and it, it wasn't it came down to Josh Green or Josh Giddy and they're both young they both have a huge future forward and when we played in that those four days leading up Josh Green had a better camp. It's it's as simple as that. And uh, so we and when we when we moved on to Irvine, in um, 
giving credit where like it, it was tremendous to Josh Giddy when he was told that you know you're not in the 12 that had to be a fair disappointment you know disappointing for him and he handled it um he was disappointed no doubt but I'm in for the next um camp and he came to the next camp and was much um had had moved forward and was when we got to Irvine more locked in had a great three or four days training and then got an opportunity against Nigeria to play big minutes and to be honest with you if you if you take from Irvine right through to the end of the camp I think that the boomer situation and what he did at the boomers did a lot for him because I don't think he was seen as you let's say you come into the camp as being the sixth guy taken in the draft I think his stocks rose because there was a lot of opportunity for the NBA coaches to come in and watch our practices and everyone was at our game against Nigeria and Nigeria had 10 8 whatever it is, NBA players, they're very athletic and they came after him and he shined. And um, so I was real happy, one, that he got touched by our leadership group, got a taste of the boomers, that the situation with the boomers helped him with his NBA position and moving forward in the draft. And when you ask about as far as a basketball player, he's just um, a huge, really big, for his position more like when you see him in person, he's bigger and he's longer than, than he, than you think you think six, five, six, six, he's big and he's long and his ability to use both sides of his body is amazing. He throws pinpoint passes with his left hand in traffic, uh, really has an understanding of how to play off an on ball. His shots getting better. He's getting better defensively. And um, he's a huge, huge piece moving forward. When you look at Josh Green, you look at Tybal, and you throw Josh Giddy in there. And it's, a, it's an aspect of this that was really strong within Patty Mills and that leadership group, how important it is to them where, when they move, that this team doesn't go backwards culturally and performance-wise. And he's a big part if that's to happen. So I think one of the other really great stories from the Olympics, if you're just a pure basketball fan and you followed the, the career of Dante Exum and just the, the inability to stay healthy, stay on the floor, uh, he, <laughs> he was spectacular at times, particularly in the big games. It's a big moments against Team USA, obviously some big moments in the game against Slovenia. And you mentioned the exhibition game against Nigeria. And I remember watching these games and it was a back-to-back. -back. You rested a lot of guys. But Dante Exum played in that back-to-back. -back. And I remember watching that and thinking, that's interesting. I, that, that felt like a good sign to me that there was a lot of confidence in his body, a lot of confidence in his health. And ultimately, it seemed to show out through the campaign. Yes, it's, I mean, <clears throat> one of the things just, uh, you know, when we got to the Irvine Center and that we talked about Zooming and coming in as a staff is that, you know, you talk about the big five. You know, when, when when I got the position, Zooming that leadership group and that leadership group and a huge part of this and the build and you talk about the people's fingerprints on this medal. Andrew Bogut was, you know, and, and in the Zooming initially, not knowing if he was going to play or not, but he just was, was such an important piece culturally. And as far as the preparation and, and me getting my head around 
the boomers. You know, there was him and there was Aaron. And now you look at, you know, Bogut didn't play. Aaron Baines obviously got hurt. But before that, you know, his situation in Toronto, he virtually didn't play for the whole season. He was, you know, here's a guy that's performed very well and in, in led into his last Olympics, led into his last world. He didn't play. And then you've got Dante Exum there um, that didn't play. And then you've got Delhi, who's in that leadership group and didn't play. Now, um, so when we got to that, that um, camp, you know, you could see they, they're pros and they're, they're professional, but they were underdone. <clears throat> they hadn't played games. And uh, going specifically now to Dante, um, I was just, you know, you're looking and you're going, God, he's got so much upside. He's got so much ability, but um, he's, he hasn't played. And so um, there was a, a whole process of slowly moving him forward. So um, we talked a lot about how many minutes we're going to play him in games, the practice sessions, you know, how how we're going to monitor those and, and move him and, we, and try to gradually move him forward. And if you look at him, like you said, how he got himself better during the tournament, he just got better and better and better and more comfortable as the tournament went on. And uh, the night that specific situation you asked for is the two games in a row was we, we, we some guys we, we played, um, a, a majority of minutes, and then we gave him the next day off with him. We, we'll play him a little bit in this game, and then we don't want him to just stop. We want to keep this thing rolling. So we'll play him a little more the next game, and then a little more the next game. And then he's got, you know, he's got time off as we go into the village. And uh, the thing that was tremendous about Dante, like you said, is he got better and better as the tournament went on. But his whole approach to here's a guy that doesn't have his NBA contract. He's on a limp. You know, he, he's not set for the following year. He's, he's been injured and he was um, totally committed to this. And, and the word I would use when we practice and when we play, he was fearless. It wasn't like, here's a guy, oh, man, if he gets injured, he's going to be in trouble for his next contract. It was like, I'm here. I want to help these boomers get a medal, and I'm in. And he practiced with, with – he went in that lane. He put his shoulder down. He'd go in hard. He didn't protect himself. He put his body on the line defensively. He picked up, a, you know, big charges, dove on the floor, um, I just have so much admiration for him and he is healthy now. And I'm just hoping like Jock that, you know, he gets uh, a nice contract out of this, you know, situation from the boomers. Cause he really is a pro. I was watching him with clenched teeth half the times with, with the way he was dunking the ball and diving on the floor. It's honestly incredible. You're right. You don't see that very often with guys that have a lot on the line professionally as well. The Team USA game, I know you've been asked about certain aspects of this before. I'm wondering how you look back on that game, and, and we know the way that it panned out with the bronze medal game. You guys played so well in the first half. When you think about that game, and I don't know whether you even bother thinking about it too much, do you look back on that as a, as a good experience for the group again, uh, something that you learned from, something that you went through and were able to, to use and flip into, into the bronze medal game? How, how do you look back 
on a game that clearly was disappointing in some aspects, but you still put yourselves in a position to to create history, which you did. Well, I mean, there was the 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 Boomer game. Sorry, the 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 USA game didn't help us for Slovenia. That 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 didn't happen. And I look at that game against Team USA, and uh, uh, just you know, I as a coach, you just look at you know um, things that you learn. You know, we 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 only lost one game, and you want to grow. Um, every game, and a lot of times you learn more from winning than 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 you do from losing. But um, example being when we beat to Team USA, um, we were 13 down in the first half, and what we experienced and what I wasn't expecting was switching on on balls. So Patty Mills comes off an on ball, Green switches, and our natural reaction or NBA action spread. That guy will go one-on-one, or you'll take advantage of the guard in the block. We got nothing out of that, zero out of that. So you switch. That isn't an advantage. Green's a great defender. It's not an advantage for Patty. Reversing the ball and going into Jock on Littered or going into him on a cockstrong big guard was no advantage for us. So from that, we learned on those on-balls to flip the ball to the guy and run stuff called gets and splits. Um, which was simplistic stuff, but we learned from that game, even though we won. When we came back and we played uh, Team USA and we lost the game, um, I thought, you know, and I, I, I didn't even realize that I, because I wasn't following social media at all. And so the wins, I wasn't patting myself on the back, losing. I wasn't, you know, uh, throwing myself in the ocean. The goal was to get this medal. And, uh, but as um, there was um, criticism of using a timeout, you know, and uh, one of the things that, you know, we talked about after the game was momentum and in it in, in timeout is, a, is a way to stop momentum. But when they went on at the end of that second quarter, we needed to, you know, put subs in, get subs registered, use a timeout. And it was the same thing in the middle of the third quarter find ways through subbing through timeouts um, when when you're struggling to slow momentum and uh, uh, that was something I kept I, I took out of that game and go God we're 15 points up and we ended up two points up at the end of that uh, first half what happened and you look at it and you replay it and you go man we, we needed to make they went you know that's a 6-0 run need to do something there so um, as far as style of play, I just thought um, this team, um, this team USA provided something no other team did. I mean, they had a, a guy in that they've, they've added three pieces to it. So now Littard's not the point guard. You know, you got the, 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 the guard, Drew Holiday, and Drew Holiday's into Patty. And, and it, it, it's hard um, to get him shots. It's hard to get clean shots at the rim. Everybody was switchable. They were long. And then we were, I thought, very good against all these teams defensively with our on ball. We were different to everybody in the competition with the aggressive doubling of the on ball and rotating with Dante and Matisse Teibel. And our bigs, Jock Landell and Kay, were very active. Nobody else was playing like that. But against Team USA, it wasn't the on ball. It was moving the ball and getting Kevin Durant isolated. 
And when he was isolated, we weren't good at bringing traps to him. You know, it's a different, it was a different attack. It was not an on ball. It was isolating and him playing one-on-one. And really, um, defensively, we didn't have an answer for that. It's just put a hand on him with Tybal, but he did, he's hard to stop. And then their defensive scheme with Drew Holiday on Patty and Green and the switching ability that they had, they provided something that nobody else in the world did. And so um, uh, when you say lessons learned, I, I just think that's, that's a very tough one for us, a very tough game to win. And you take it now to the next point is, um, and I think that was made real strongly is, um, and all the talk leading into this is um, the challenge of gold vibes only and the next game. And to me, it was, you know, walking in that locker room and saying, hey, you know, head up, back straight, look me in the eyes, um, leave this crap at the door. We're, you know, whatever's happened in this, in the history of our, our sport, we're 0 and 11. We've been in this situation and, you know, four to, you got to win one game at two to get a medal. And we're now at number 11 and you've never won one. So, um, the culture, whatever we're talking about, something's wrong here. And uh, quit, uh, move away from that. We came here to get a medal and we've never got one before. So um, uh, the uh, mindset, uh, the culture, um, the style of play, the challenge was um, huge. And I think that's where you got to give this team credit where no other team, um, you know, has ever in the history of Australian sport been able to pick themselves up and play their best game in that last game. And you look at it, we scored 102 points against a team that had only lost by a a layup got blocked or they're in the final. And at that point, they're 16 and 0 with Luca. So it's not like we were playing chop liver. You know, we were playing a team that was had only lost one game themselves and had only lost one game out of 17 with Luca. So um, that last game, um, that team went somewhere that no other team in Australian history has been able to go. So you spoke about a guy like Kevin Durant and, and I just remember watching that game and, and we've seen it time and time again, but there was uh, times where Durant would have uh, either Exum on the baseline, he might have Thibel on the baseline, brilliantly defended literally nothing else you can do and he can knock down the shot and if you talk about another all-world player you saw him as you mentioned Luka Doncic so the one change you did make to the lineup was was Daly moved to the bench and he only played 12 minutes against Team USA only two minutes in the in the bronze medal game against Slovenia which for everyone that's watched the boomers for a long time it's jarring when you don't see Daly out there he's just he's been the veteran he's always been there and we know he's a competitor as competitive as anyone and would want to be out there when you you tell him he's coming off the bench as a guy that's been a part of the program for so long, um, um, is is he puts his hand up and says it's totally fine? And then alternatively, just matchup wise, is that that purely a Luka Doncic Matisse Thybul uh, move? It it was um, obviously the 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 thing that Delhi brought to this is, and a huge part of our defense was pickup point. We wanted when the ball. When they got the ball, when the opposition got the ball, um, we wanted somebody. And that's why, you know, 
what Sobe and Giddy. You know, that was never so, you know, I needed two guys that could pick the ball up three quarter court and turn it. And I didn't all the only other thing expected of them was get the ball into our offense, which both were capable of doing. And we wanted that ball picked up and stopped early against uh, Slovenia. We didn't want to play him that way. We did not. We wanted to back these on balls up and make those on balls happen more at the three-point line and we needed length so it became very obvious you know we want to start this game and set the standard early on him on how we're going to play him and how we're going to go after him and so the title um was a no-brainer so we're going to do that if we're going to do that we're going to that means delhi's going to come off the bench and number two was um the other thing that happens with that is Patty Mills, you put the ball in his hands. And uh, obviously it was a good thing, but when you look at this thing over the course of time, and you saw it, I think, in Luke a bit, you know, you don't want to play him in the first game. But by game six, you know, he's worn. And now how Patty played and how we played Patty against Slovenia, you cannot do that over a six game five whatever it is tournament like that you you cannot demand that of somebody but we knew he had it in him for one and we i think we'd use patty and one of the things um going into this that the staff talked about is if you go back to the where they were unsuccessful in that game a lot of times patty and joe look worn and what um, and I'm not putting any blame on anybody. I, I, you know, you're coaching to win every game. But what I had on my that Andre didn't was I had Dante Exum and I had Tybal, and that's two pieces that this past Boomer team didn't have and use them. So um, Patty and Joe are like Patty and Joe were in that last game. So if you go back to when they were unsuccessful, there's no way Patty gets 40 points against France. He was barely standing by the end of that thing. And it's the same with Joe, where Joe and Patty had their best games in the last game. And that says a lot about Matisse, Dante. And I also, as he was weeded out and, and moved more towards the bench in that last game situation, but Delhi and Sobe, help create that over the course of the four or five games. 42 points, 31 shots. Uh, watching that game, it was, uh, you were watching a, a guy that was like, well, I'm, I'm leaving it all out on the floor, exactly as you pointed to his last game uh, of the tournament. Those two guys that you mentioned, the guys that you were with in 2008, and I, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a big gap. And I was thinking about it, and I was even looking through some photos, and you've got babyface Patty Mills, babyface Joe Ingles back in 2008. For you, we saw the way you embraced after the game, and it was emotional for everyone. Did, what, did that feel like, I don't know what you want to call it, a full circle moment, whatever it is, to come back to that group, still have a couple of those guys that were there and achieve what you were trying to achieve 13 years earlier with the same program? Well, I mean, to, honestly, about the whole thing is there's no way, there's no way I do this job if Patty and Joe aren't there. And again, I, I, I mean, those two, and I, I thought at the time Andrew Bogut would be a part of it as well. But um, the it ended up no Bogues, but 
um, those two um, being there and um, being in it back. Because when I walked away from the boomers, I was happy. <laughs> I mean, you, if we want to get it, it, there's so much to say on on the culture and on this. But when I took the job initially in Sydney, everyone had played extra. All those guys wanted to play and play an Olympics in Sydney in front of their home. And what happened was everybody retired at the same time. So, you know, um, Andrew Gaze, uh, Brad Key, uh, Longley, um, you know, the, the major pieces of that all gone. And this works in four-year cycles. So Phil Smythe comes in. They don't beat New Zealand. They don't qualify for the first time in whatever amount of years. That's when I started. And now I'm looking at this. I'll make a long story short. You, you come into this. And for me, I, I'm looking at um, basketball, this, this position at this particular time. I was the right guy for the position. I mean, I'm the only person that has any relation. These guys have been working for 12 years. Who do they want somebody to come in that they and they've put 12 years of work in and they have no rapport with it all? And I didn't need it's like I'm needed right now. I'm I'm important to them right now. And um, you know, I felt like um it it was a a, a move that 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 it was the right move. Um, but, uh, you look at that and, uh, um, sharing, I, it was almost, I, when I say it's the hardest thing I as a coach, you're always thinking of the other side. Okay. What happens if we play Slovenia? I knew what to do when we lost against team USA coming and walking in the door and uh, you, you had to hold me back. I wanted to kick the door down and come right in and shirt front. I'm, I, it's coming out of my mouth as I'm walking. If we had lost to Slovenia and I'd have walked in that locker room, I had nothing for that. I had nothing for that. It would have broken my heart. I was just, uh, I mean, these guys, I, I, those two guys, both what these guys have put into this, and this is it. And there's no, oh, it'll be okay next time or you know, pass the buck to somebody else. It, it sits with me. And I, I, I mean, they've put faith in me to deliver here. And, you know, obviously they're the ones that perform. It's about them. But I felt unbelievable pressure um, leading into this Olympics and unbelievable pressure when we got to the point of this is it. And um, on the other side of the coin we won and walking in that locker room finishing on the court and having the opportunity to look up with a minute and 30 to go and you know hug jason smith who is a part of that stuff that i've been a part of maddie nielsen john, uh, john really to hold them and shake and and feel um something that you know tears running down your face that's before you got to the players and then by the time that thing finished the embrace with patty was sincere the embrace with joe was sincere it was like um nothing i've ever felt in my life before and i still i know i'm going to feel it the rest of my life and when i ever when i see those guys which i will you'll always have that look at each other hey man 
how good was that? We, you know, we did something special together. You mentioned the the speech after Team USA, and I know it's been spoken about a lot that that was uh, a lot of players saw that as a moment where they were able to reset mentally. Jock Landau, basically going off what you just said, said that by the end of that speech, it felt like the whole locker room was ready to play the bronze medal game that second. They were that fired up after that. He also said that he's never really been around a coach where every single meeting or every single speech uh, he had goosebumps. And you're just talking right now about the passion you have for the team and everyone, and you're giving me goosebumps. So I understand what Jock was talking about there. I did say to you I wanted to talk about the Hawks a little bit before we wrap up. So I can't really remember a team that's had two really, really exciting seasons consecutively for completely different reasons. For Illawarra, when you go back to the season before with Lamello, it was a great show. Everyone was watching, but the team wasn't really winning games. You've come in and last year, one of the more exciting teams in the league for the way you played basketball and the fact that you were winning basketball games and you were able to get to the playoffs. I'm just wondering now, coming back for season two with the Hawks, outside of the reasons you already outlined in terms of just the environment in Australia is a little bit different to where it was 12 months ago. What, what do you sense the 12 months has done for the program in terms of where you think you are ready to, again, uh, take another step already on top of reaching the postseason? Well, I mean, I thought that it was huge for us. Um, what, what happened last year, um, and again, it was extreme circumstances. You had COVID, you had a brand new, um, and everyone deals with COVID, and COVID, COVID is a, is a sometimes an ex, it's an excuse for everything. Oh, we have to deal with, COVID, you know, but to, to be in COVID and starting a brand new franchise, so we don't have uh, members, we don't have a schedule, we don't have uh, guys housed and living, we're every, we a brand new office, a brand new ownership, a brand new, and uh, the league's in COVID. Um, so um, to do what we did last year was unbelievably special, but if you just take the results, um, this organization, this area has done better before, but what it's never had, it's never had a consistency where, you know, okay, you know, you, Nick K, um, all, all the guy, the, um, always the, the, the guard for, for Perth as well, who's just a tough nut, Norton, um, they, they, all, all of them played here. You know, you, you go through, you know, the, the, the MVP, McDonald, you know, they're here for a year. They have a good season and they go, okay, Sydney wants them. New Zealand wants them. Perth wants them. It's like, you know, you're, you're the, uh, okay, you get a good player, they go. The, the big test for us was, okay, we had a good year. Now what? And um, to keep Tyler Harvey first team all league, was a focal point of the whole organization and to sign him for three years. I'm just, um, you know, okay. He came here. He believes in this and I, your first team, all league, somebody else in the league that has more stature than we've had in the past would have recruited him. And, and he, he's in to get a duop, a wreath duop to get an international player. And I'm looking at the boomers. I'm coaching the boomers. How many, NBL, there's an NBL, to, but how many NBL players are there on that team? One of them now is with the Hawks, right? So, and then you keep um, 
Gritter, you keep frawling. We've got this young core, Emmett Nar. I'm really happy about that. You know, that it's the winning to me is in the picking. And to have that core group, nobody left. And then to bring um, the import, the key one, first team all league back, and then to have a signing of a national player now gives this when you're looking at it and you're predicting for next year, it's like, oh, they're a team that that's for real. We're in this. And what this franchise is trying to do is become one of those teams that every year it's knocking on the door and now and then you break through. So the off season um, before I went to the boomers and putting a bow on this group um, made me really happy about, you know, coming back and now we got a chance to build something. I, I'm not guaranteeing you know, we're going to win the championship or even making the top four is difficult, but you're, you're a basketball person and you're like, you look at this and go, whoa, they didn't lose everybody and start again. And there's Wollongong again. It's, you know, we, it's like, there's a respect there, just like you're showing of, Hey, these guys, Oh, they're there again. They've got a nice little group again. Didn't lose any coaching staff. Didn't lose any um, major pieces to their team. And we've added. So um, I'm excited about that. If I can quickly ask about Duop, because obviously you got the chance to spend a fair bit of time with him with the national team. And and I've always described Australians uh, that they go over to uh, Europe and they're off the radar and, and it's just through lack of ability to watch these games and, and, and find coverage here in Australia. It's tough, but there's so many Australians that are playing good basketball over there. He's been doing it for, for a number of years. Uh, what, what stood out to you about Duop with the, with the national team? I, I thought he was really impressive in the exhibition games. Obviously minutes were a little bit limited through the main tournament. Yeah. I mean, he had um, no, um, when, when he came into camp, Thon maker, um uh you know uh uh there there was um god boy i'm like three or four uh humphreys mm -hmm. um uh uh anyway there there's and again there there was so many on that list number eight he he wasn't someone that we were even um thinking of bringing to um vegas we just here's a drop-in center how many guys are we going to have at the drop-in center? He was on that fringe of, do you bring him into that or not? You know, and then there was some guys dropped out due to injuries or due to not availability. And so it's like, oh, we have, and we're thin in this position. And then Thon Maker pulled out and you go, well, now we really want to have a look at him. And he came in and it was like, immediately it's like, well, whoa, he's an international player. Now, um, stepping into the boomers and winning a medal. Um, there's a process here, but you looked at him and go, he's got nice touch. Um, really like he can shoot the three, uh, anything around the basket soft, he, you know, makes his free throws, um, a good pick and roll, roll out, or he can pop and he's long, you know, he can protect the rim a little bit. And, um, you know, due to the European side of it and the level he's played, he's got good basketball IQ. And then, uh, I mean, and it's like I'm saying this about everybody, but the culture of the boomers, and again, this isn't me, I walked into something. I, I had a, a hand in it when it started 12 years ago, but I walk into this and go, this guy 
is an unbelievable kid. It just, all he wants to do is work. All he wants to do is get better. And, and just, you know, Joe, Patty, all those guys just, just, you know, he became one of the guys right away. And, uh, you know, we saw him as a, as a nice, uh, as a nice versatile piece um, off the bench. Uh, last one I've got for you, Alex Moore. Now, we've seen NBL teams and the professionalism of the, uh, the NBL has gone from strength to strength. Uh, I got tipped off on this one. I actually wasn't aware, but Alex Moore has been doing work in the NBA for a number of years, was with the Cavs, with LeBron, uh, uh, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving. He's with you guys this season. And when you look at guys that are probably unheralded in an NBL franchise, whether it is the strength and conditioning, the medical teams, um, what kind of benefits can a guy like Alex bring to a team like Wollongong? And in general, how have you seen that aspect of, of the NBL um, go to the next level since you since you've returned? No, it's been uh, eye opening to see you know being in the league twelve years ago or thirteen years ago, and just to see where it's gone as far as it is is you know the, the basketball is the you know it, it's a great you know the teams are strong they're well coached but these these other pieces you know the tv package the marketing of the league the the clothing the the and now the, the the diet the but this side of it the strength and conditioning of all of these teams and the you know the catapult system and all i mean it it's it's load management it's it's moved to a you know and again coming out of asia and coming into this and, uh, you know, um, to have an opportunity, you know, we, we had an opening in that position. I thought we, we, we did some good things last year. Um, you know, Adam Roberts, we had last year, who's high quality. We had him in China and he did a great job with our strength and, and really taught the guys how to lift. You know, the catapult system became a, a part and in losing him, there was a real concern of there's not many many people in my mind that were at that level and all of a sudden you know I, I got you know I talked to Delhi I got a friend like I told you that was, was was with the Milwaukee Bucks and you're getting this thing on Alex and you're thinking well how, how do you how do we get him here and it turns out you know his family he's from Wollongong and wants to come back and so I mean, how fortunate again, you know, you, you look and this is such now such an important piece. And we had a huge hole there and uh, he's now it's my second week here. Um, tremendous. Um, uh, great in the weight room. Um, and again, can, can reference LeBron James can reference, you know, NBA players that gets these guys attention. He's, he's good with the ball. You know, he can rebound, he can pass. He can work guys out on the court, um, has a great understanding of strength and conditioning and is a, a really um, fine man. And you realize, I mean, it was the same thing with the boomers, how when I walked into Irvine, I just, the importance of John really, uh, Brad Davidson, Anthony Sussingero, David Patrick, all Aussies that, you know, they're, they're running and Maddie Nielsen and Cape Horn organized um, the, the the camp you know and uh in Irvine I'm walking in there and all those pieces junior you know uh David Hillard Brenton the doctor Maurice the the the, the physio and just you know how 
it was like clockwork how organized they were how professional they were and how much they were a part of the team and you just thank god if if one of these guys um isn't there a bad egg in here or isn't there a guy you know how you go to work each day and there's that maybe that one guy you know you just your personality and his don't work but you walk in there and you go man what an unbelievable environment and then my you know i i had from from my team my assistant coach jacob jacomas in charge of all the video um so i was in a total comfort zone there and now i've come back to this and you know, now you've got Alex, you know, standing there as an addition and, you know, you're starting to put all these pieces together and it's, you know, today we had the, you know, the massage stuff and the, you know, the, the yoga, and then we all had a meal together and it's, 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 it's moving. It's at a place already that we, we was well off last year, you know? So, um, I know I'm, I'm yapping a lot about it, but, um, just walking in, just, feel just so fortunate to, you know, I'm in China, COVID breaks out. Uh, I, I waddle back to, to Australia. <laughs> no one knows. I'm, I, if you go back to the interviews on, you know, SEN back when I arrived, I just walked into the Australia and just started talking. What happened? You know, and I go, well, I'm, I'm in China and I get a phone call saying people are sick. You got to get out of here. It was like that, you know, on a Thursday, on Monday, on a plane, I'm home, I'm in Melbourne. And now you look at, you know, what's, what's happened, you know, but with COVID and coming back to Melbourne, I end up here and getting a, I'm living on the coastline and living in Wollongong with a great group of guys and a tremendous franchise and a league that, you know, is, I mean, you want to talk, Joe Chi signing at Phoenix. I mean, I was in China for 11 years. That's like uh, uh, Andrew Gaze in the day coming in, signing in China, you know, and leaving the NBL. I mean, he is um, the best player in China. And, uh, you know, he's, he's Houston Rockets. He's 7-1. He's talented. The 7-5 kids, one of the upcoming kids in China. There was no talk 12 years ago about guys from China coming to, to Australia, but that's what's happening. So I'm a part of that. And then, you know, a month later, you're the national coach. And here I am sitting here on the beach on a beautiful day in this great environment, in this great league with a, you know, bronze medal around my neck. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I just, you know, have to scratch myself. Yeah, uh, you were walking before, and I saw the weather. It looked uh, looked like a lovely day to be on the beach in in Wollongong. I would say I'm a little bit jealous. There's a bit of sun in Melbourne, but you know what it's like uh, down here. But sure, uh, I, I did say to you, I think it was going to be around 25 minutes. We're probably pushing closer to 45, 50. So uh, hopefully, I haven't uh, kept you too long, Brian. But but yeah. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. Um, I, I said at the start uh, that uh, you know. You've been doing a lot of these types of interviews talking about the boomers, but I think the NBL aspect is just as exciting. And I reckon November 18 is going to come around pretty quickly when the season tips off. Real excited. And thanks for having me.